This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR and writer for Cleveland.com. Coming at you guys Tuesday. What is it? No, it's Wednesday night after draft week. All these days sort of mush together as we're analyzing all the prospects and figuring out how well the Browns did in this past draft. And if you have not had the opportunity, please go check out the pieces I have put up. I have put up pieces on Greedy Williams and Sione Takitaki, who we are going to talk about tonight with a couple of local beat writers for those areas and covering those teams. We uh, also have posted a film room on Sheldrick Redwine that can also be found at cleveland.com. And then we have various clips up of Drew Forbes, which we will get to a piece on the OBR of Drew Forbes' strengths and weaknesses. We've had a chance to look at his tape, specifically the Arkansas State tape. Then we will also have more coverage of Mac Wilson this week the Alabama linebacker the Browns took in the fifth round. And then we'll get to Donnie Lewis as well later on this week uh, as we round out the Browns draft class. And then we will sort of, as rookie minicamp comes and goes, and we get a feel for which sorts of these undrafted free agents are going to stick around, we will also get you some information on those. So Browns phone breakdown, my Twitter feed are going to be the shining examples of what these guys bring on the field, give you a look uh, exactly the strengths and the weaknesses of these players as we spend most of May trying to figure out who these guys are as not only football players on the field, but also as people, as I'm going to try to bring in as many of the local team coverage reporters as possible so you can understand what the Browns are getting in total with these guys. Exciting news on the Browns front. Uh, Tervon Tate, the Browns signed a uh, left tackle prospect out of Memphis. Uh, Trevon was going to actually sign with Oakland on a tryout basis, but it looks like the Browns gave a little bit more faith here and brought him in. He's 6'2", 295, tested fairly well, was actually the 93rd ranked prospect uh, in, in the Pro Football Focus draft guide, which is surprising that he didn't get drafted. Seems to be a little bit of a tweener. Started 39 games at left tackle for Memphis. Obviously was a big part of an offense that averaged 523 yards this past year and has been a part of 3,000-yard rushers, uh, a couple thousand-yard receivers uh, as well in his time at Memphis. has had a really good career. He, he's a bit of a crossover, like I said, that it seems like the Browns would be best fit by moving Tate inside, uh, allowing him to, to sort of compete for where the Browns will have a few more questions over the next few years, which is at right guard and, and possibly center. So exciting news there. I think Trevon Tate is not somebody that we thought initially they were going to get, but in getting him, they have a uh, sort of proven college football uh, lineman with good durability, a guy who can come in and compete and fight for a job. He sounds hungry. If you check out his Twitter feed, at Trevon T8. Hungry to come in and compete, and it's exciting for the Browns to get another versatile player up front because I thought they were going to draft a, a interior player, and they did not uh, decide to. If you consider that Drew Forbes was a tackle, they did not decide to bring in an interior player to compete. So you will have Tate push with 
Um, Wentzman and, and, and Cush, the two signees, along with Austin Corbett, who's sort of pegged in there to start at right guard. So should be extremely interesting to see how that goes. I'll be fascinated to watch. But just to to push back towards what today's goal will be, so we are going to talk to a couple of local beat writers, one for LSU, one for BYU, both of which are uh, good guys. I, I, I asked around to a lot of different people who the best people were to, to sort of get a feel for who these people are as players and, and, and sort of the personalities behind them. And these are the two guys we arrived on. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited to bring you more on – uh, all of the Browns selections later this week into early next week as we figure out who these guys are, and I think you'll enjoy. So uh, without further ado, let's get over to our first guest, which is Billy Emery of 247 Sports covering the LSU Tigers. All right, guys, uh, as the Greedy Williams conversation goes on, I thought it would be really interesting to get sort of a uh, perspective from somebody who's been around Greedy for a substantial amount of time, knew him coming through LSU in terms of covering him as a football player. So I'm excited to bring on uh, Billy Embody. Billy covers LSU for 24-7 sports. It was the first name I came across when I was offered a suggestion for who would be a great person to interview. So, Billy, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course, of course. We, uh, we're excited up here, man. We got a corner that we really like. Uh, and, and greedy to, to match with our, our our former Buckeye Denzel Ward, and I'm not sure. And I'll I'll be honest with you, Bill. I didn't study I didn't study him much as the X and O guy up here in Cleveland. I didn't study him a ton because I just didn't think the Browns were going to have a chance to get him when they traded out of that uh, 17th pick for another LSU Tiger Odell Beckham. We kind of presumed that Greedy was a first round guy. So I'm interested in just sort of as somebody who covered him, what he was like to cover day to day as a person first. You know, Greedy was was always respectable um, when meeting with the media. He was he's somebody that's a pretty good quote. He's very confident as well. I mean, a lot of these LSU DBs that come out of uh, the program are just confident guys by nature. I mean, they are usually among the top defensive backs in the country uh, coming out of uh, college. So they've got a lot of reasons to be confident, and Greedy definitely didn't shy away from that, I would say. But a uh, really good guy. He's got a got a young daughter that uh, he left school early for to to really. Um, this is for her. This is for uh, uh, him and his family, and and that uh, was something that I think was a little bit lost at times um, when he made his decision and he skipped the Fiesta Bowl and all that. But you know, a really great guy. Enjoyed covering him. Uh, always a good quote, and and um, obviously a really really good football player too. Yeah, talking about that good football player, I broke him down for Cleveland.com up here. And what, what struck me was just his ability to mirror people in press coverage. Not necessarily get his hands on uh, all the time and sort of jam people, but get you know walk down into people's faces and, uh, and really just sort of run routes for them. He just mirrors people effortlessly. Uh, you know, whatever the route may be, he has the top end speed to cover deep. But I was just impressed my takeaway was that you know, maybe he didn't run the three cone and some things like that, but it just doesn't seem like it's a problem. His, his matchup with DK Metcalf, I thought he came out on top of that matchup. Uh, just sort of speak to Billy, if you can, covering him, the coaches talking about him down there. What what about his game should Browns fans be excited about? When, when he started to slip uh, and the reasons, or I, I should say this, when, when analysts started to bring up his tackling or this or that, started to pick apart his game, it was bizarre. Um, th- I mean, just think about some of the guys that have come out uh, who I-, I just think have been overanalyzed. That's greedy. 
Um, and so when you when you covered him and you listened to the coaches talk about him, I mean, they could not say enough great things about the job Greedy Williams did for them. I mean, he's a Thorpe Award semifinalist. Um, when you looked at him as a draft prospect last summer, uh, when guys were projecting him after his breakout redshirt freshman year, um, nobody was saying anything about tackling, and, and he had one of the best years in the country as as a corner. And, and then he followed it up by having an even better year. Nobody threw at him. Um, and so um, I, I'll just say he was a reliable, um, every-down guy that completely changed the way teams had to you know, play against LSU. Um, I think about when, when he started to slide, at least in the eyes of the analysts, and they started to build up this tackling thing. I thought about Dante Jackson, who was a little bit faster than Greedy, but both ran in that 4-3 range, kind yeah. of longer guys. Um, but, again, nobody really talked about Dante Jackson having issues. And Dante Jackson, to be honest, I wouldn't have thought he would have started for Carolina as a rookie, but he came out and just balled out. Um, and, and so that's really uh, – I thought it was just overblown. I mean, this is, like I said, one of the most reliable corners in college football. Um, and, and cornerbacks nowadays aren't exactly expected to just come up in the open field that often and just lay a running back out. You know, the, the defensive line or the linebackers are stringing them out. they got to come up and make a tackle. I mean, it's just not very often that you see guys that are in the open field one-on-one. And so um, I just thought it was all overblown when, when they talked about breaking down this game like that. I'm with you. I watched the film. I'm not entirely sure what the issue was. And like you said, the lack of the lack of tackling or whatever that was, Pro Football Focus didn't even have him missing very many tackles, let alone being in position to make those plays. And I do think that there was an effort by teams, a concerted effort, to go the opposite direction of him. I don't think you can ignore that. If you look at the whole game and don't just look at highlights, you can certainly see that. I will ask you this. Do you think a connection has been made now with – with these corners, I think that more often than not, and I think the Browns in their press conferences made a good point about this, where they said, if you have 32 NFL teams, there's going to be 32 different rankings at cornerback. It is sort of a, uh, air quotes, pick your pick your flavor sort of thing based on your scheme. Do you think there's any other reason? I mean, some people have tried to connect a, a character concern with Greedy that he, he sort of packed it in at the end of the year. Not just the games he skipped, but sort of, uh, sort of packed it in at the end of the year to maybe avoid injury, uh, any of those. You referenced his daughter and his eyes were on the NFL. Did you notice any of that? I mean, obviously, guys are sitting out of bowl games. Denzel Ward sat out of the Cotton Bowl for Ohio State a few years ago. It's very common. But games that mattered toward the end of the year, did you notice it? I, I mean, you know, did you notice any of that stuff going on? No, and even, honestly, what was a, ended up being a meaningless game at Texas A&M, that went into seven overtimes. I mean, it, it was meaningless. LSU was pretty much going to their bowl. A&M was pretty much going to their bowl. It was a meaningless game. And you looked up seven overtimes in, Greedy Williams is blanketing his wide receivers and, you know, being an issue for, for opponents. So I, I don't think um, – I, I just – again, I can't see – now, I don't get an all-22 view or, you know, ISO footage that I can watch every rep, but I, I, I didn't see anything on film that – or, or in games that really said, oh, you know what, he's dogging it there. That That's him, you know, trying to protect himself. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't – I watched five games and I watched a few at the end of the year specifically to see it too. And I was interested in your perspective because I didn't see it either. I, I just think sometimes NFL teams overthink these things and they fall in love with different parts. And I wouldn't say Greedy's sort of an outwardly spoken guy all the time, so maybe they like some things other prospects told them. Uh, that went before him, but I couldn't be happier for Cleveland in getting him at 46 when 
to be honest with you, Billy, I'd have been happy getting him at, at 17. So we're enthralled. We're happy with it. You you, you have a tougher time finding man-to-man guys, uh, especially in the NFL where you can't get enough DBs. And uh, the Browns did a nice job of finding two man-to-man corners with uh, various picks here that are going to help them long-term. Young guys, he's excited to come to Cleveland, so are we. Speaking of which, uh, notable Alabama alum Freddie Kitchens recently quoted as saying, uh, if these Alabama play- or sorry, if these LSU players were just a little better coming out of high school, they'd have ended up at Alabama, which I found to be a pretty funny quote. <laughs> but uh, we got quite a few LSU guys up in Cleveland now, two notables, which are Jarvis Landry and now the newly acquired Odell Beckham. Odell was extremely excited for Greedy on Instagram, um, and I- I'm sure Greedy is excited to come up here too. So just sort of what what does the programs feel about uh, this heavy Cleveland connection? Because I think it's sort of becoming an eye where you know, the Browns are going to keep more of a close eye on LSU because they're finding a lot of their success is coming from that program. Oh, I, I think it's great. And, and, and I think that it's something that some NFL teams have embraced. I mean, you know, I, I went to SMU and the New Orleans Saints have five SMU guys on the roster and they just added a six and an undrafted free agent. So I, I think the Browns recognize, look, there's something in the water when it comes to skill guys, especially uh, out of LSU. Um, they just make great pros. I mean, Jalen Mills and Dante Jackson are just two examples before Greedy recently of, of guys that, you know, have impressed at, at, at certain points. And Dante has made an impact as a rookie. But, um, you know, the, the Jalen Mills has, um, you know, kind of been in, up and down a little bit at Philly. But, you know, you look at Odell and Jarvis, I mean, these guys that come out of LSU, they're prepared. And they're prepared to really battle, especially the kids from Louisiana. They're just tough. They're tough-minded. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's something that stands out to a lot of NFL teams. I'll ask you this before I let you go, Billy. Anybody, uh, Browns fans are listening, that they should keep their eye on uh, towards next year's draft, prospects that will be coming up, draft-eligible guys that are that are exciting for LSU this year? Yeah, absolutely. You should go uh, uh, watch the uh, probably the best safety and defensive back in college football in Grant Delpit. Um, mm-hmm. He's a top-10 overall pick. Now I think the Browns are going to be picking maybe in that, that – you know, later first round uh, range next year. But, Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but, no, Grant Delpit, I mean, his size, his length, his athleticism, they've played him at kind of a rush end. They've uh, In certain packages, they've played him at an outside linebacker, a safety, a, a quarter safety. I mean, they have done everything with him, um, and he's incredible. I mean, he's really one of the best. Everybody loves Devin White at LSU, and, and but, but I, I think Grant Delpit is – terms of a pure football player just a little bit better than him and you know so he's a top five type guy um keep an eye on uh keep an eye on uh john emery who's a freshman five-star running back that just looks absolutely like the part so uh he might not be around long in baton rouge either well you guys take care of our quarterback down there our transfer joe burrow he uh he came up here in Ohio, and I, I I watched him play several times at Athens, and a little up and down for you guys last year, but a really good guy, and uh, we're pulling for him up here in the Buckeye State, my man. Yeah, Joe's awesome. He's a lot of fun to cover too. He's a, he's a character, so we'll have a good time this year for his final round. Absolutely. Well, Billy, thanks for taking a little bit of time for me, man. Um, you guys can follow Billy at Billy B I L L Y Embody E M B O D Y, covering LSU. If you want to look up film on Delpit, I'm sure he's going to have tons of coverage on that this year. And then talking about our boy Joe Burrow, he'll cover that as well. So again, Billy, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we'll be right back. All righty, part two of our player. Uh, I think player profile interviews, these are fascinating to me. I was, um, you know, compelled to bring on somebody from both LSU and BYU. If you have not listened to part one about 
Greedy Williams with Billy Embody of 247 Sports Rewind. Go spend your time there. Some great insight on Greedy from Billy, and I think you guys will really enjoy that. But I'm pumped about part two. Get to talk about one of the guys with the absolute coolest names in in the draft this year. And uh, I found, uh, per recommendation, the best guy to go to, which is Jared Lloyd. Jared covers the uh, BYU football beat for the Daily Herald. Does great work for them, and I, I think there's no better person to go to. So, Jared, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Hey, it's great to talk some football. Draft was fun, and it was great to see my guy Shone getting a chance to, you know, go play some football and, and show what he can do at uh, with the Browns. That's that's really awesome for him. Yeah, we're excited. I will I will be honest with you, Jared. I did not um, I did not study Sione pre-draft, so not a name the Browns were totally connected with. And uh, I had seen his name come up from some people I trust to do a lot of work in the pre-draft industry, and um, sort of blew it off to be honest with you there's no reason to lie about that and I just didn't didn't expect this to happen I don't even think Sione expected it to happen right he was on the toilet when uh <laughs> when John Dorsey <laughs> called him so it's a surprise to everybody but I broke him down for uh for cleveland.com and, and found to really like his game as a football player from his senior year and what he's morphed into but but a football player aside the Browns have taken on uh some players with checkered past uh, overcome them and, and sort of been given a second opportunity or in some cases a second opportunity in college and have taken that opportunity with Cleveland to propel themselves, such as Antonio Callaway. Uh, the Browns brought in Kareem Hunt as well. And Sione sort of falls under that mold. The Browns love to get guys who have overcome serious obstacles. Jared, talk to me about what happened early in Sione's career and sort of what took him through his year off of football entirely. Well, as you go, you know, I was looking back and, you know, just going through the draft process as a chance to kind of reflect on, you know, the, you know, this, as, as he got drafted, and, you know, a chance to remember what it was like to watch him come in as a freshman at BYU. And, you know, he came in and, and a lot of, you know, again, as a freshman, he had some, you know, uh, he was recognized as, as a recruit, but, you know, I, I don't know if everyone had that high of expectations, didn't come in as a, five-star guy you know he was that he was kind of a guy that people were kind of cautiously optimistic about but the, immediately when he started getting on the field you could see his his drive his motor and his ability to get to the to the quarterback that was really his his strength early on in his career was kind of this that he'd use his athleticism he wasn't the most disciplined player on the field this is just looking on the field mm-hmm. he was but he was you know just this great athlete and, you know, there'd be times that BYU would just put him in and throw him, you know, okay, you basically, you, if, you saw, if you saw Shone on the field, you basically knew he was probably going to be rushing the passer because that was his strength at that point early on. And he got some sacks in those first, you know, in, in that first season. And you could just see that the talent was there, but you could also see that he had to learn some discipline. And it's, it's interesting to me a little bit because, there's another player that reminded me of that early on in his career, a little bit more versatile, you know, really athletic guy by the name of Kyle Van Noy, mm-hmm. who's done really well for himself at the, with the New England Patriots and now yeah. a starter on a Super Bowl championship team. But early on in his career, he would get himself into bad situations. He was so athletic that sometimes he could overcome those, but sometimes he'd leave gaps for opponents because he'd be out of position. He had to, you know, kind of mature and understand his role a little bit better and that's kind of what I expected from Sione Takitaki as well, is kind of this, you know, this growth under, you know, the coaching staff, the tutelage at that time. Well, that didn't end up happening quite the way I expected because of the off-the-field issues. He had some, 
some issues with, um, you know, where, where he was suspended from the team, um, made some mistakes, and he freely admits these mistakes, and that to me is a sign of immaturity as well. I, I never saw him as, as the type to complain about it. He recognized that he was undisciplined, and he made a bunch of errors, and, you know, he, he was kicked off the team for a full year, and during that time, you know, I think it went, one of the things that was valuable for him was that he didn't just spend it focused on football. You know, he did some construction work. He saw what real life was about and, you know, realized that his athletic ability and his talents could take him places that, you know, maybe other people couldn't get to. And, you know, there, there were other options in life that would work, but, but he learned some, some perspective, I think, you know, and in talking to him about it, that was a vital time. And, you know, you just, you can't talk to him without hearing him talk about his wife. You know, every time anybody asks him about his, you know, his, his history and, and about what changed, he always gives credit to his wife because she was so instrumental in helping get him in the right mindset and not be as wild and as loose and kind of all over the place and make, a, <clears throat> excuse me, make a lot of those mistakes. He was really able to, to kind of, she really helped, helped him focus, helped him get on track. And <clears throat> excuse me, we saw that at the end of his career as a senior, we saw him had, he had grown so much. And personally, I think he's only going to get better because he's really only been as disciplined as, you know, he's, he's still developing in that way and still, you know, understanding exactly how to fit into the roles that the defense needs him to play. The way you moved him around, he, they, they've had him play defensive line. They had him play linebacker, play outside, play inside, you know, so they've, they moved him around. And as he gets in a pro situation, I think he's just going to continue to improve as he kind of finds a role and uh, see, shows what he can do. Yeah, that's fantastic insight, Jared. I, I, I'm, I'm really interested. I tracked a lot of his 2017, 2018 when he came back from his, his suspension, and he was a 4-3 defensive end, edge guy, a little undersized there, obviously. And then they go to a 3-4 in 2018, and he takes on the linebacker role. So not only does he go through a position change, he changes his body a little bit, seems like he lost a little bit of weight, but he becomes a team captain. And that's, that's, that's impressive. You know, I played college football and I, I can't say that I've ever heard of a guy going through that many discipline issues, eventually become a team captain. And to me, that says something, what type of leader is he? What, you know, when you're dealing with him, Jared, how did he deal with the media? And then sort of how did his teammates and coaches view him uh, as a, as a person and a player too? You know, he was always great to work with as you know and it wasn't the he, he wasn't the type of guy that would mouth off or you know kind of be rude or dismissive or you know he, he wasn't really that type of guy when we talked to him you know and, and when we had opportunities to interview him you know he was always well spoken he wasn't particularly loud he was kind of more a little bit more of the quiet you know just kind of say what he has to say type of guy and and that didn't really change except in the sense of just he was being more he was more confident and i think the team really saw the the way that he had you know evolved into this maturing this mature presence and and just the way that he approached the game he has a he has a great work ethic and he always had a good work ethic it was the problem was is he couldn't necessarily stay focused like yeah. he would get distracted and you know get into get into some of the the mistakes that we've talked about and some of the errors there but his work ethic, when he was able to get that focus, I think that's what the team really kind of locked into. I mean, this is a really talented guy who works really hard 
puts it out, you know, and he was always passionate. That, that's something, you know, it, it's interesting to say because it's not like a vocal passion in the same way, but he's a very passionate individual. And I think the team adhered to that, which is why he was, was named a team captain. And, and I think a lot of the guys really, you know, fed off of that passion that he played the game with. And when he's able to keep it in control, keep focused, that's really and, – and that's what I expect that Cleveland's going to get in that sense. I think they're going to get a guy who works really hard, who plays the game with a lot of passion and excitement, who likes being on the field, likes being physical, likes – you know, he, he, he'll, he'll, he'll mix it up with guys on the field, you know, when he's in, in the games and stuff. He'll, he'll get out there. He'll, he's not going to be intimidated by anybody. And, uh, you know, he'll show that physicality and that, you know, just that passion to play with a really, at a really high level. It's just, you know, the, the whole question with him has always been, can he do it consistently? Does he have the consistency? We saw it more this last year, his senior year. Not perfect. I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I'm not giving, him, giving him an A grade yet. It wasn't perfect yet. But I'd love to see it continue to de- develop at the next level. Yeah, I think the Browns were enticed by some of those raw skills you're talking about there, Jared. The athleticism, he tested through the roof. On tape, you saw a guy who could bend off the edge. You saw a guy who could play inside linebacker, keep interior offensive linemen off him, uh, whether it's through power or different sorts of swim moves and make plays on ball carriers inside the tackle box, but a guy who could, too, pursue, run sideline to sideline. And I think when you look at their position, they have a guy named Joe Schober that plays Mike Linebacker from Wisconsin and another guy in Iowa guy, Christian Kirksey, who plays the Will Linebacker position. I think they're interested in what he could be in one of those two positions. And uh, his tape was very raw there, but it also showed a guy who can do it. So they're going to play the patient game. And it sounds like to me, Jared, he's a he's a hungry special teams guy, too. He had a quote there talking about special teams. So um, we're excited. We're fascinated with him. Um, we're you know, at least I was when I put out the film room this past weekend. Just a really fun study. And uh, I'm pretty excited about what he can bring over the long term. He's got a four-year deal here at the minimum. So we hope that that turns into a second contract and a big part of things here. And uh, I always ask this question, too. I asked Billy before. Anybody else, uh, Jared, at BYU this upcoming year who the Browns fans paying attention love the draft? Browns fans, big draft fans over the years of 20 years of ineptitude. It's really struggling for us not to be focused on the draft like it was this past year. So we always like to look at draft prospects. Anybody at BYU's roster jump out for a prospect going into the 2020 draft? Well, they had most of the guys coming back, and they're still relatively young. They still have a lot of guys that you know are kind of uh, uh, that are going to be juniors, and you know they're, if they're really outstanding, there's always a chance they'll decide to you know to, to test the waters. Particularly BYU, a lot of the players are older because of the. Uh, the missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that owns the school. So a lot of the players are older, so they might consider it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, they've got some guys at, at safety that I really like. I like his name's Diane Gonwaluku and Austin Lee. Um, those guys are, are really good athletes, and I think if they continue to improve, they're going to be really good. BYU's had a, a history of some good linebackers. I think Tione Takitaki could evolve. He's still more raw, but he could evolve into the type of role that Fred Warner is having with the San Francisco 49ers, a guy who can cover. And, you know, it's kind of that evolution of the NFL. You've got to have linebackers who can tackle, who can come up and be physical in the run, but can also get sideline to sideline and cover the slot guys and cover guys out of the backfield. I mean, that's just kind of the way the NFL is going. I think Sione can be that type of guy. I think BYU has some linebackers that uh, potentially could you know, fill some of those roles. It's interesting to see whether some of them can stay healthy. Zane Anderson's a guy that's a little undersized, maybe. He might be more of a safety at the NFL level, but 
He's very talented. Another guy to keep an eye on, he's still young, is uh, Isaiah Kafusi. Um, he's the cousin of uh, Bronson Kafusi's with the Jets, and Corbin Kafusi signed as an undrafted free agent. He's their cousin. He signed with the, the Saints. So he's got you know some pedigree there. He's got some family connections to the NFL. So there's some guys there on the defense, and, and I got to give a shout-out to my, my, my nose tackle. <laughs> he is a big dude, but, uh, you know, this, this guy, if you ever watch BYU football, you got to keep an eye um, on the middle because he can just mow people over. And and I, and why in the world I'm blanking on the name at the moment? I can see his face. Uh, it's Kyrus Tonga. Excuse me. Mm. Kyrus Tonga is the guy that I'm talking about. And if you watch him, he's just a big, massive guy in the middle. If you need a if you need a guy to really kind of tie up things in the middle, he's still raw, still improving, but he is a beast. And if he continues to improve, he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on over the next couple of years as well. Well, those are good insights. I know that somebody like that in the interior will always find a place in the NFL. That's Jared Lloyd. Guys, he covers BYU, uh, their, their beat coverage on their football program. He's at the Daily Herald. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Jared R. Lloyd. Uh, he'll keep you up to date with anybody coming uh, out of BYU and, and with the program all together. Jared, thanks for taking a couple minutes tonight, buddy, to join me. Hey, my pleasure. Great to talk football. Of course, of course. So, guys, we will be – we will be back later this week. We're going to look at Sheldrick Wedwine, hopefully get some insight on him, and then Mac Wilson, their other fifth-round pick, we'll get some insight on them too. Special thanks to Jared again and, uh, and Billy as well for jumping on, talking about their prospects in their area, who they can be up in Cleveland. I hope you guys enjoyed that insight. So we will come back at you later this week with some insights on some other players. Thanks for joining us tonight, and go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.